So as we've kind of been talking all year, um, this year we've added quite a few lessons to build. And in that, we had to cut a few lessons that we really shouldn't have cut. Um, so today what I'm going to do is give you guys the 10-minute version of Eric Martin's um, hour and 10-minute long lesson on the one another's. Um, and so really, this isn't necessarily a version of the lesson. I think it's more like an advertisement to go find the lesson online and listen to it um, because it's really, really good. So there were handouts in the back, and one of them was a one, the list of one another's. If you didn't get it yet, that's okay. Um, I'm just going to kind of fly over it anyway, but be sure to take it home with you. Um, so maybe grab it when you go do your build groups, or if people want to go grab them right now, go for it. Um, you know, as we've talked about build, um, we have the five build disciplines. Um, and the first two are shepherding your heart and shepherding your home. And the third one is, um, is shepherding or having that bleed out into ministry. And how do you interact in the church and how does that lead you within to the church um, in your interactions? And um, this lesson is considered a D3 lesson, a Discipline 3 lesson on ministry. But it's really a lesson in obedience. Uh, it's really a lesson in how do we act out what we're learning in Scripture with other Christians around us. Um, there are 38 commands for Christians to do. They live, we are required to live life alongside of each other through these 38 commands. Um, these commands are typically referred to within Christian communities as the one and others. Um, Eric actually, when he prepared this lesson, went through every single time that phrase, one another, was used in Scripture. And in that study, he found 108 uses. Um, many of those ranged from just narrative to um, commands that don't necessarily apply to us. And as he um, kind of shrunk it down, there were 38 independent commands for Christians to act out through the Christian church with each other. Um, and that's what this list really is. Um, and so I'm going to go through, and this may feel a little bit tedious, but I want to go through and actually read every single one another on this list. And I want you guys to think about it as I'm reading it. Um, think about these items and how practically these can play themselves out with each other in this room, with people in your small group, with people that you just know from Grace Bible Church. Um, we, as men at Grace Bible Church, are commanded to live these one another's out with other people at Grace Bible Church. Um, these are very specific commands for other people within the Christian church community, and we all go to Grace Bible Church. Therefore, as we're living the, our life within this community of believers, we need to think through how are we living these out with other people in this community of believers. Eric um, split this list into six categories. So when he teaches it, it, there's six bullet points. Each of those bullet points are one of these categories, and he walks through how these work themselves out. Um, and so I want to, as you look at the list, we'll look at them kind of that way. So if you have the list, pull it out. Um, the first category is how do we love one another? What are the commands for loving one another? And it starts with to love one another. And there's actually 14 verses there 
Um, it's kind of the most repeated command of all of these, which is to love one another. Um, abound in love for one another. And then there's the list of caring. Care for one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Comfort one another. Pray for one another. Then there's the edification. Build up one another. Admonish one another. Speak truth to one another. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Encourage one another. Seek after that which is good for one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And then there's service. Serve one another. Be hospitable to one another. Wash one another's feet. And then there's a list for humility. Give preference to one another. Be subject to one another. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Confess your sins to one another. Be humble toward one another. And then there's a long list of unity. And think about that. Think about the fact that um, they're, they're, it's easy as you're close to each other to actually have animosity towards each other. And yet we're commanded as Christians to be close to each other and be unified. So how do you do that? You're, you're devoted to one another. It says, let us not judge one another. Be of the same mind as one another. Accept one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another. Do not consume one another. Let us not challenge one another. Let us not envy one another. Show tolerance for one another. Bear with one another. Do not lie to one another. Live in peace with one another. Do not speak against one another. Do not complain against one another. And fellowship with one another. Let's actually turn to 1 John very quickly. actually going to start reading I think I'll start reading in verse 3 it says what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too have fellowship with us indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ these things we write so that our joy may be made complete this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There are two connections there in that passage around fellowship. The first connection is um, in verse 3, where it says our fellowship is with the Father. There is something unique about biblical fellowship that is connected to a relationship with God. Um, and then the other connection is in verse um, 6 that says, If we say that we have fellowship with the Father, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, then he himself is light, and we have fellowship with one another. 
our fellowship with each other is rooted in holiness. If we want to have fellowship with each other, we need to be living holy lives. And so there's a connection, and there's something very, very special about Christian fellowship that is Christian fellowship with people who love God and who are drawn and are in the light and who love holiness. And that's what we are here. Um, That's what I hope we are here. And so, Christian, as we go through that list, we have unique relationships with the people in this room that we don't have with anyone else. And those relationships require us to live out our lives with each other in a unique way. And this list helps us know what that unique way is. So let me ask a few questions. Can we be obedient to scripture and not practice these one another's? Of course not. Can we obediently practice the one another's and not be plugged into a local church? No. Can we effectively practice the one another's by only participating in body life on the Lord's day? I mean, obviously these questions are answered with no's. Um, We live in a consumeristic world. We're all consumers. We're moving into the most consumeristic month of the year. And we go to church generally to consume. Um, I heard this week, and and it it wasn't a bad thing, and I didn't actually correct the person, um, but I heard this week, a prayer that as um, they were going to small group that they would get what they needed to hear out of small group so that they could honor God Um, and at the moment I was like that that's such a subtle thing to think about um, and go hey I'm going to small group and I want to make sure that I can honor God well and get what I need to hear Um, but we need to go to small group to give what we need to give Um, if we're going to small group to love one another, to be unified with one another. There's a lot of work on our part that's not just going there and listening and hearing what the leader has to say and going, man, that's going to help my heart. Um, But when we're actually applying discipline three of living this out with each other, then we need to go to small group with the orientation of what can I give to these guys so that that we can all grow in our love for God. Um, So do you live your life with others with this in view? The obedient Christian must be in close biblical relationships with people here at GBC. And for us, as the elders, what we've created kind of like systematically or programmatically is small groups, we believe, are the best way for that to live itself out. Um, We've kind of created subgroups. These groups are ways for you guys to interact with people. You know, there's 500 people in there on a Sunday morning. It can feel very overwhelming to be like, okay, so I got to interact with all of these people in this way. Um, sure, if you're Tom Angstead, you do that. Uh, um, <laughs> I don't quite know how. Um, but in small groups, you can, you can look at 10, 15 guys, maybe even break that up into five guys in your group that you really, really interact with those families in a way that lives these one another's out. So I have to ask, I think most of you guys are, but if you're not in a small group, please get in a small group. Be obedient to scripture, live this out with each other. Um, And then the last question I have for you is, how are you leading your home to give a proper weight to the practice of one another's? 
Where are you prioritizing things in your time? Um, and I don't want this to be a kids' sports are not helpful, but kids' sports sometimes become a priority over actually being obedient to these commands and scriptures. Find ways to do the things that you're doing in your home so that you can also obey scripture in these commands. Mobilize your home to be obedient to this list. So let's say you guys had a list of questions that you just got through discussing and going through. And we were just kind of curious to find out on one of them, in light of what we just studied about God and our money, what is the first thing you're going to change? Would anybody like to share with us a change that you see that you would like to make? I know it's kind of personal, but we're just kind of curious to see if somebody might be willing to... Uh, we've kind of talked about the uh, making making our giving. If it is a habit that we give to our church, making it a, a moment of worship in our week. However, we do that, whether it's whether it is by checking an automatic, you know, deposit uh, withdrawal, or uh, our wife writing a check, um, having that not become mundane and without worship. So that, that resonated with a few of us and uh, myself included as a change I need to talk to my wife um, to, to make this something that, that isn't routine. I kind of thought about if, if I treated uh, communion the way I treat giving, uh, it would be, uh, you know, probably be church discipline step two or three. Uh, <laughs> um, Anybody else? Let's see who's brave. A couple of us in our little breakout group were talking about um, how we were convicted that uh, regarding giving to missions. Um, and that was one of the things that I was thinking about after, after the lesson, going through the homework. Just like, yeah, you know, giving to the church has been happening. God's been kind of in that area with just being uh, intentional. And look, looking for kind of like what Matt was saying with one another, so right? Looking beyond, you know, just what I want. Okay, how can I how can I really bless God's people in missions? Just thinking about that. Good. One more. If anybody. Um, pray for one of my brothers that needs patience to lead his wife back to uh, obedience with finances as he tries to handle that part. Go ahead. And uh, I just went over my budget more in detail and depth and going through saving, but uh, going over it in more detail, being more disciplined with it, I realized there was a lot of areas where I could grow in. Okay. And guess what we're going to talk about today a little bit later? Budgets. So, um, you know, we can only touch on, you know, a little bit of these subjects. And so a deep dive is not... We're not able to do that because of lack of time. So, you know, but, but I want to make sure that we give you enough to help you see the importance of stewardship in your finances. That's the key here. So, I, just a real quick review um, of two weeks ago. Um, we talked about master. We talked about how God is the master, therefore we're slaves. Slaves don't own anything. 
We therefore must understand that we are the stewards of his assets. So you don't own your assets, you're a steward. We talk about stewardship and giving. Um, we can learn principles of stewardship from the Old Testament teachings, but the matter of giving for the believer in Christ is the, in this present day of grace is not based on legal obligation. We looked at Corinthians and chapters 8 and 9. It comes from your heart. Now, this is interesting. Look at the correlation. The Old Testament, we see that the law was basically the law. You followed it. And guess what? You had an obligation of 10%. Now, it comes from our heart. Well, what happens with salvation? What happens between the Old Testament and the New Testament nowadays pertaining to your salvation? It's the same thing. You're not, you're not uh, sacrificing in the, temp, in, the, in the synagogues and you're not um, you know, beholding to you know, that legal authority. Your relationship with God is now personal and so is your giving. It's all de dealing with the heart. So basically, that's how you have to look at it. And you need to look at yourself to determine where you need to fall in that, in that category. <coughs> much of life's resolves, or, or much of life revolves around use of money. During your normal week, how much time do you spend earning money in your job, making decisions on how to spend money, thinking about where to save and invest money, or praying about giving? It's all over the place. Fortunately, God has prepared us adequately for these tasks by giving us the Bible as his blueprint for handling money. Use of money is a measure of your morality. Did you expect that word? It's a measure of your morality. Money is around us. It's practically in everything you do. Therefore, it becomes easy to love it. And in that, there is the problem. You become proud in your accomplishments and the money these accomplishments make. When you think about your finances, do you have a good feeling or a bad feeling? Let me say ask that again. When you think about your finances, do you have a good feeling or a bad feeling? Do I hear any answers? It's tough. I dare say that everyone here at some point in time has had some guilt about your spending. And I dare say that everyone here has had some guilt about your giving. So, what's, so what do you do about this guilt? Is it a motivator for change? Yeah. So what's the opposite of guilt? Joy. So how do you restore that joy if you have guilt? I want to read Luke, in fact, turn with me to it. It's Luke 12, 13 through 21. It's a little lengthy. It's about, it's a parable. And in this particular circumstance, um, I'm going to start reading at, at uh, 13, but I want to go back to number one. Under, under these circumstances, after many thousands of people had gathered together, they were stepping on one another. So this is a huge crowd thousands. 
that Christ is in the midst of. And he began saying to his disciples. So now he's speaking to his disciples, not the crowd, but to the disciples. So he's kind of ignoring the crowd. So jump over to 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Whoa, this guy is just blurting out to Christ. He's got this issue and problem, and he expects Christ to solve the problem. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware, be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. The key word here is greed. Remember that as we go through the rest of this. And he told them the parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there will be and there will and there I will store all my grain and my goods and I and I will say to my soul soul you have many goods laid up for many years to come take your ease eat drink and be merry but God said to him you fool this very night your soul is required of you and now who will own what you have prepared so it is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is and is not rich towards God. So tell me, what did this guy do, or what has this guy, how has he shown that he's greedy? What has he not done? Give? Where did I hear that? Okay, what else? Okay. Look how many eyes and mice are in that parable. What else? Not content with the barns he does have. True. Okay. What well, his trust is in his riches. In verse nineteen, I mean, it's just as plain as day. Yep. Yep. Trusting in God or God's provision, it's all about his riches. I have these riches, therefore my soul can be at ease. Yep. And then what did he do? What happened to him at the end? Yeah. He did not consider. He ignored his mortality. So, let's look at the opposite of this. What should he have done? Number one, give back to God. Glorify God. Thank God. Constantly thank Him. Exactly. That's number one. Number two. Is there anything in there where He talks about sharing with others? Giving. Giving a portion back. No. It's all He wanted to hoard it. And number three. If the Lord wills. Prepare for eternity. should be saying, if the Lord wills, this is what I'm going to do. That's always the caveat. So if you want your joy back, do these three things from your heart. Make sure you do these three things. You thank God, you share with others, and you lay up treasures for you in heaven.
So it's not how much you have, it's what you do with it. Remember that. We're going to ask some questions a little later on, but remember that. So before we can go on and talk about a plan, we have to look at where's your money going, which means it's keeping track of where you are now and what's going on now, which is not fun. So um, so we're going to talk about you know, practical methods of recording your expenditures. And uh, you know, I want to emphasize in this part is you know, you begin tracking your expenditures in five major categories. And those categories are, are giving and offerings, taxes, savings, debt payments, and spending. And that list is in your on your schedule. We're gonna put those up on, on the board in a certain order here in a few minutes. But um, in fact, let's do it right now. Um, What's, what's the first, of those five, which is the first one that you have to put on your budget that requires a payment? No, that's required. Taxes. That's the first thing that comes out of your paycheck, right? So that's the first thing that comes out. So you got taxes. What's the second one? What's that? Debt payments. Debt payments. What's the next one? Spending. Spending. Got to live. What's after that? Savings. Savings. What's the last one? Is that how you organize your months and years expenditures in that order? Generally, yes. Which one of these affects that? Well, taxes, you have to pay your taxes. We're going to go through that. So you can't change that. What are the other ones? You got. You have to live. Now you can change this somewhat. But what's this one right here ends up being probably just as negotiable as giving in your process, right there. So remember that. We're going to circle back to it in a minute. So, and then there's also a, a breakdown of the spending and stuff like that. Uh, um, and I think I put in there a schedule that shows, you know, uh, one author's idea of percentages that you should stay within as far as your spending details. Okay, so improving your dealership begins with recognizing exactly where you are now. Proverbs 27, 23, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to the herds. How do you become a better steward? Basically, you've got to monitor what's happening with your, with your money now. If you cannot tell me where you are now, how can anyone tell you where you need to be? So this is a requirement. I mean, 
And I don't think that you have to keep track of every single penny, every single moment. I think you need to take snapshots maybe of time periods. You know, if, if record keeping is a, is a problem for you, then do 30 days worth and take a look at it. And then later on, do another 30 days and take a look at it. You need to know where you're on a map in order to know where your, where your route is, or your desired destination. This reminds me of my cell phone. Whenever I put on the map app and I point, I, I click on it and I want to find out where to get to a certain place, I always have it turned off that I don't want them to know where I'm at. And I have to turn that on in order for it to tell me where I need to go. So, and I sit there, I don't like anybody to know where I'm at just because I'm private. I don't like it. But I have to turn it on in order to be able, that's what we're doing now. So we're having to take a look at something that you just don't like to look at sometimes. <clears throat> Proverbs 24, 3 and 4. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge, and that's what we're talking about, knowledge, the rooms are filled. So you've got to know where you are and what's happening now. The more you learn about spending habits, the better you will be able to make the necessary changes. Most of us sometimes in our lives have a standard of living that is higher than what we make. You will see that. Are you in that position now? The Bible does not dictate one particular standard of living for everyone. Scripture does provide principles that we should consider in our planning and budgeting. So why do we have to calculate and see where we are now? In order to come up with a plan, you've got to have the facts. You need to know where you, where you are now and then come up with a plan based on those facts. Without a plan, we become reactors and responders rather than action, action initiators. Plan wisely and develop a financial plan which has a purpose and direction, a purpose and a direction that honors God and provides for your needs. It honors God. We cannot separate our finances from our daily walk with Christ because financial decisions are spiritual decisions. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. Because you're a steward, your financial decisions are spiritual decisions. Here's a couple quotes. When our finances are under control, our Christian ministry has a, has a better chance to grow. Do you believe that? Another quote. With our lives out of balance because of poor financial planning and management, the potential exists for us to lose our effective witness for Christ. So, setting goals. Planning and setting goals are linked. A goal is simply a measurable objective towards which you believe God wants you to move. Ephesians 3.20 He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. By setting goals, you are forced to think through the study and study exactly what your financial objectives are as it's set forth in Scripture. In Scripture. Each and every goal needs prayer and consideration. Prayer and consideration. Proverbs 16.3 Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Proverbs 16.9 In his heart a man plans his course but the Lord determines his steps. A goal must be measurable so you know if it's been accomplished. 
Recording your income and expenditures will help you measure how you are doing in relation to your goals. That's why you got to continue recording your income and, and expenditures. So compare it to what your, where your goal is and see if you're attaining them. Written goals make up more make it more make us more accountable to provide personal motivation. When you have identified and written down your goals, you then can develop a plan and implement them. Setting goals provides an opportunity to pray about spending decisions. Planning is a roadmap to achieve your goals. Proverbs 19:21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You plan and then you look for, for God's will. So in review, we must examine how we have spent God's money. That's number one. Even though this examination might provide, might create guilt. In order to plan, you must know where you're now financially. You must record your income and disbursements to know what needs to change to accomplish God's goals. That's the purpose here. A lack of planning presents the possibility of, of, of our inability to reach our God-given goals and potential. Many do not want to plan because a plan places limits on us and, and makes us accountable. That's the hard part. You, and if you look at your finances, it is one of the most personal things that you that you embark on. How many of you open up your books and your finances to other people? None of us, because it's personal. I think MacArthur had mentioned in a sermon, he says, give me your checkbook and I'll show you where your heart is. That's pretty revealing. That's pretty tough. Planning provides an opportunity to pray about spending decisions. And you know what? You know, the areas that you can get into is you've got money and, and, and marriage. You've got money and kids. Well, money and marriage, if you want to start having some communication about money and your finances, the best thing to do is to sit down and pray with, it, with your spouse. Include your spouse. Get them involved so they can see what's going on. So, when we talk about planning, we talk about budgets. Budgets is just a more of a more detail and how you plan on spending your money. So basically, a budget is planned. It's a plan on how to spend the money. Budgeting is is not fun. You know, it's it's like accumulating your your data in order to be able to see what you've done in the past and then plan for what you plan on doing in the future and identify how much you're going to spend in each category. So it's, it's, it's a spending limitation, you might call it. There's a risk. You can get this quote. It says, there is a risk of too much month at the end of the money. Did you get that? That's what a budget prevents you from having, having have happen. There is the risk of too much month at the end of the money. You're not at the end of the month and you're out of money. So using a budget introduces an attitude of control and spending that is needed to reach financial objectives. 
every area of your budget should be regularly reviewed to keep a rein on spending. Proverbs 24.3. This is a paraphrase of a previous verse that we had um, read. And this, this paraphrase puts a little bit more light in how you can look at that verse. And it says it this way, any enterprise is built by wise planning, becomes strong through common sense, and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. You're keeping abreast of the facts, you're comparing it to your budget, and you're staying in, in line with your objectives and your plans. So let me make some predictions. And I've seen this, so. Through the years, there will be frustrations, but a budget, if properly used, will save you thousands of dollars. It will help you accumulate savings and will help you stay out of debt. More importantly, it will help husbands and wives communicate in an area that is a leading cause of marital conflict. So let's talk about a four-letter word, debt. So in our society, what is debt used for? What's debt used for? Everything. Okay, everything. Build What's that? To build credit. To build credit, okay, okay. Yeah, you, can, you can put that down. Instant gratification. Okay. Well, I mean, specifically, what can you buy with debt? Okay. Furniture. Okay. <laughs> Furniture. Yeah. Education. <laughs> okay. Student loans. What else? Things you can't afford. Okay. <laughs> what about investment loans? What about business loans. Um, what about being a cosigner or a surety? A lot of stuff. A lot of temptation. So is all debt bad? Okay. So the question is how do you distinguish between good and bad? So what we're going to talk about now is we're going to talk about the difference between principles and rules. So biblical principles, it's a biblical guide to keep you on God's path and out of the world's traps. Principles are given to, to keep us clearly within God's path so that we can experience his blessings. To ignore them puts in, 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 us in a constant state of jeopardy in which Satan can cause us to stumble at any time. These are principles. This is stuff that you find in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But Proverbs 22.3 A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. So then you got the opposite of that, which is biblical laws. These are do's and don'ts. Now let me make this statement. It says, there is not a verse directing God's people not to borrow money in the Bible. 
However, does Scripture encourage borrowing? Scripture permits and regulates borrowing with much warning and precaution. Borrowing is not promoted and it is not prohibited. However, Scripture does teach about the undesirability of debt. Debt should be a last resort. So here's some of the principles from Proverbs. We're going to walk through a few of them. I think you've got a list on your in your uh, handout. Proverbs 22.7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Is that true? Do you feel like a slave after you've borrowed money? Even for a car or for a necessity? What about education? That's a perfect example. Can you discharge it in bankruptcy? Well, I, you know, I don't know. Has anybody tried? It's a good question. No, you can't. Yeah, you probably can. You probably can. Under law. So, so what you have to do in, in that scenario is you got to do a, a, an analysis to determine if the profession I'm going into compared to what I'm paying for it up front is worth it. But here's the thing that I see in educational debt is that they have a standard of living that's too high. They're unwilling to give up this, that standard of living in order to get their education. And I, I say that a, a big portion of the debt has to do with that, because you can borrow the money and spend it, use it for whatever you want to. Psalms 37:21. the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. We talked about this two weeks ago. What's the correlation between the wicked the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but, so that means they're connected, gracious, the righteous is gracious and gives. So what's the, what was that correlation we talked about a couple weeks ago? What's that? Different positions. Okay. Different positions. They have a different position. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, yeah, exactly. So in other words, in other words, the righteous don't get themselves into debt, so they can't give. So, exactly. Um, Proverbs 21.5, the plans of, of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. So what's that telling us? Don't make quick monetary decisions. Okay. All right. What else? Okay. It, it isn't isn't this a difference between you know the diligent is slow, hasty is fast. Okay. And somebody said it. Somebody said it earlier, you know, um, get rich, get rich quick. You know, you go slow. You don't go quick. If you find something that's get rich quick, it usually means that your principles at in risk, at risk. So, and the other part of this is give up today's desires for future benefit. 
So your 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 lifestyle, your your standard of living, go slow. Stay behind your income. Don't get ahead of it. Um, there's this saying that I ran across, which I thought was interesting: "Act your wage." <laughs> Diligent is done done with with careful, steady effort, preserving and careful. Proverbs eleven fifteen, he who is a guarantor for a stranger will surely suffer for it, but he who hates being a guarantor is secure. So I don't know how many times that bec that becomes an issue for nowadays as far as guaranteeing a loan for somebody else. Um, but, you know, the, the idea is that you need to be prepared to pay that loan if you're going to guarantee it. Because you're relying on somebody else to pay it and you have no idea. So, and th in this particular case today, nowadays you guarantee loans for your kids or stuff like that. But you need to be prepared to pay that loan. Psalms 37, 26, all day long he is gracious and lends and his descendants are, are, are a blessing. What's that telling us? I think the first thing is, is it talks about a lender. So if it's talking about a lender, that means there's a borrower. So there's the idea that scripture doesn't say don't borrow. What else? Well, it's kind of this. His descendants, I would think it would say his descendants are blessed, but his descendants are a blessing. Mm -hmm. So they imitate the one who is gracious and lives. Mm -hmm. There's a godly legacy there. Yes, absolutely. Action, behavior. Absolutely. Kids are going to watch you. They're going to see exactly what you're doing. If you're if you're generous and gracious and you lend, your kids are going to see that. Uh, Proverbs 22, 26, 27, do not be among those who give pledges among those who become guarantors for, debt, for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? So they, it, it seems like we were talking about debt uh, as when we take out a loan, we now have to service that loan with income. Therefore, we have less cash flow to give with or to save. Mm -hmm. or yeah, but and then, but then this brings in the reality too that when your financial condition changes and you've uh, pledged yourself to a home loan or an auto loan or whatever, and you can no longer pay that, it gets taken from you. So there's two threats: mm -hmm. one to cash flow, yep, another to the asset that corresponds to that. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yep. And so in Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-six, twenty-seven. Be sure you have a plan to pay the loan. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, Romans 13, 5 through 8. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for, for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all that is due them. Underline that. Render all that is due them. Tax to whom tax, custom to whom custom, fear to fear, and honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So what's that telling us? To pay all your taxes, pay your debt, instructs us to repay what they borrow, period. All obligations must be paid when due. So that's the reason why you need to have a plan on how you're going to pay this. Now, circumstances will come up, like mentioned before, where your income may be, may be um, affected. And when that's, when that's the case, think about that. What's your plan if that happens? So, what is the sinful side of debt? I think it's listed on your, in your handout. You know, it's, it's, again, looking for instant gratification, coveting something you cannot afford. Debt is often the symptom of much deeper spiritual problem. Therefore, the root problem must be dealt with first. So, what are some of the root problems? We may have touched on them earlier, but let's talk about them a little bit more. So what are the some of the root problems? Discontent. Discontent, greed. Gratitude. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's not part of content. It's not having gratitude of what you do have. Impatient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Yep. God provides us our needs. He doesn't provide us all of our wants. We talked about that two weeks ago. But you have, the gra you have to have the gratitude to thank Him when He provides you with your wants. Coveting. Coveting. Yeah. So when you when you talk about people that are heavily into debt. The only way to deal with them is got to find the root problem. And if, if they're unwilling to deal with that root problem, then you know they are where they are. They're, they are they are paying for their sins, essentially. Is there a question you ask people when you're helping them? get to the heart of the matter? Oh, it's a lot of questions. Yeah. I mean, you've got to find out past history, all kinds of stuff. Usually it comes down to one one item, and that is that they don't recognize that God owns everything. You know, that's that's the that's the main issue. If if they don't recognize that, then you really don't have much further to go. You got to you got to go back to the basics. You know, as far as you know, are they are they really a Christian? So. You know, so it, it fails to give proper attributes to God in in all of His wonderful attributes. It, it fails to believe Him, to trust Him, 
to trust that he knows all my needs. Right. Um, we're rushing ahead of God thinking that exactly. we know better than God. So yeah. the root of all these symptoms of, um, you know, that we've just listed is really an unbelief. It, it yeah. really boils down to that. Yeah. You know, let's, let's take a minute and let's talk about one other thing. And we're talking about people that get themselves into debt because they're, they're speeding ahead and they're, they're moving too fast. They're, getting, they're spending beyond their, their um, standard of living that's been set by God. But let's, let's talk about the other side of the equation. What happens when we get in a position where you're making um, a lot more than what you need? Or you're making a lot more than what your standard of living is? What happens? Yeah, yeah. You know, MacArthur, in one of his uh, sermons, he's made a comment about, you know, the, the elder board wanted to give him a raise, and he hadn't had a raise for five, six, seven years. And he says, I don't need it. I don't need it. And one of the elders finally told him, I know you don't need it, but we want to see how you handle it. <laughs> so if, you, if your income increases dramatically because of you know, hard work or whatever, and it's, and, it's, and it's legit, what do you do with that? Now that gets back into first fruits. That gets back into a lot of different areas as far as, as, far as giving. How much do you increase your standard of living? Did you put a ceiling on it? Got a few questions here that kind of cover a little bit of these areas. Does the Bible say money's evil? First Timothy 6.10, it deals with the love of the money. First Timothy 4, 4 and 5. You, re you receive your funds with gratitude. The people who use money have a potential to be evil. And I'll tell you right now that what I see out there is that non-Christians are almost always evil with their money. I rarely see anything other than that, even in, in their donations. So money itself is not evil. But look how much money is, is, is a part of our lives. So guess what Satan hits us with? Our money and how we spend it. The, all of the advertisements, all the stuff that, that you get bombarded with. Next question, is it possible to both follow God and make money? Luke 16, 13, you can't serve two masters. So use, use money, but don't serve money. Money makes a good servant to those who have the right master. That's why you gotta go back to that, that idea that you're the slave, you're, you're a steward of God's money. Money makes a terrible master. How many of you been in that position where you've serve money. It's, it's easy. It's hard to get out of. Philippians 11, uh, the Philippians 
4, 11 and 12. This, this is where Paul is living with much and with little. He describes what he's owned and what he has not owned. And it's been a wide spectrum. So if you look at verse 13, he's being content with either, whether he has much or he has little. Okay, is it right for Christians to have material positions and enjoy them? Okay. I like that answer. <laughs> what was the question again? Is it is it right for Christians to have material possessions and enjoy them? If you go to Ecclesiastics five, eighteen through twenty, there's a long explanation there talking about the fact that you can enjoy them, but you've got to put it in perspective. 1 Timothy 6.17 Again, in fact, let's look that one up. 1 Timothy Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And that's the key right there. Who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. You need to have, you, you need to have that alignment correct and enjoy it. And then this also answers the next question. Is it all right to own certain possessions for personal enjoyment? And yes, same thing. Okay, how much can we, how much can we safely keep? In other words, savings. And I'm gonna read a John Piper quote, which puts this pretty much into perspective. It says, the issue is not how much a person makes, Big industry and big salaries are a fact of our times and they are not necessarily evil. The evil is in being deceived into thinking a $100,000 salary must, accompany, must be accompanied by a $100,000 lifestyle. God has made us to be conduits of his grace. The danger is in thinking the conduit should be lined with gold. It shouldn't be. Copper will do. So it's, it's the lifestyle that you pick based on your income. People, a lot of people can't affect the top line income. It's very difficult, especially if you're employed by an employer. So what you've got to do, you've got to align your budget and your finances so that you fall, you live within that, that means. So here's, here's his, continuing in another quote of his. Those who happen to be rich simply as a result of circumstances, hard work or wisdom have done nothing wrong. They must not withhold their riches, which are really God's, from kingdom causes, including helping the needy. So that's, you know, so how much can you really, can you keep? 
mean, I think there's a certain obligation that we have. Why do you say? Okay. Okay. So, okay. So this is for future purchases. Future purchases. Okay. For okay. So. Or when a disaster happens. Yeah. Okay. So if you've got, if you've got, you know, a, a scenario that comes up that, you know, an expenditure that unknown expenditure that you have come up, whether it be medical or repairs or something like that. Okay. What else? What about retirement? Temporary day when you're not able to make income. Exactly. What else? Yeah, I mean, you set aside savings for retirement and you put it in something that grows so that it, hopefully it, it will grow and be, be more than what you than what you actually have put in. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's, that's wise. I mean, we find scripture verses where that is, you know, so you an obligation. Somebody else when they need help yeah, you can do, you can do that. Situation. Okay. But the key, the key to this right here is that, hang on to this lightly. Hang on to this lightly. If you hang on to this, and this is this is your goal, that could be a problem. This becomes more important than this. So I think we have an obligation in order to, to save for retirement and for unknowns that might may occur. I think it's diligent, but at the same time, you have to you have to decide between these two. You've got to cover these. You decide between these two. So how much do you keep and how much do you give? That's 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 the dilemma right there. Especially if you have this under control. And if you don't have this under control, this suffers and this suffers. So what's one of the goals that you guys generally would have? I mean, you, in order to own a house, most everybody has to have a mortgage, so you've got that. Same with cars. So what's a goal? Become debtless. And that's, that's, that's contrary to society. Very contrary. So as you, as you get older, this is part of the goal, so that you can do this and this. Then what you do is that you've got to then decide, okay, what's my split on this? And this comes from the heart. As your income grows, this is this is income. As that grows, you have to decide. I, I'm I don't know how to say this, but I'm thinking with the giving, right? And maybe I'm off. Feel free to correct me. I just, with my own heart, I see giving needs to go up a little higher. And I'm, and I'm thinking, and if I'm going off the topic, please just silence me or something. <laughs> but I'm thinking of Mark 12 with the widow's offering, right? And here she is poor, 
and Jesus commends her for giving all she had, right? And maybe I'm going on a side note, maybe this is afterwards conversation, but I don't know. I just, my temptation, because I've been in a situation where I really didn't have much, and I was tempted to not give, and I did, and I saw a blessing from that, and God always provides. Okay. I don't know how to navigate that. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay. Well, one thing, one area we didn't have time to get into on the giving side is, is that, you know, we talked a little bit about sacrificial giving, but what we didn't talk about is what comes back and all the scripture verses that deal with what comes back. So if you look at the widow, that was sacrificial giving. Now, we have no idea how she was blessed, but you know she was. So... If you have scenarios where you don't have very much and you still give something, that's going to come back. You know, and, and I mean, that, that's a whole separate study in of itself. You've got to be careful of this health, wealth, and all that kind of stuff. But it's in Scripture. So. I think maybe where Phil's going with that, though, Dave, and, and I definitely hear what he's saying, is that it's easy to let spending just be like, oh, well, this is what I spend, and I've got to spend to live, right? But there's a lot of different stuff in that bucket of spending, right? Like, there are the calories that your kids need to yeah. grow, yeah. and then yeah. there's your Starbucks bill, yeah. right, or your cable bill, right? And th there's a lot of room in there, like, mm -hmm. in between mm -hmm. debt and mm -hmm. in between savings. There's a lot of room in that spending bucket for us to be more generous. And if we prioritize giving higher on the list, yes. there's yes. a lot that we can look at yeah. in, our, in our weekly or monthly budget and say, do I really need that or could I, could I turn and give that with an open hand? Right, right. And, and when we talk about sacrificial giving, it's usually giving something else, changing your priorities. And that's basically what, what, what happens between those, between the, giving and your spending too. Yep. So so here there's room too. Yeah. I think so, a lot of cases there's a lot of room there for a lot of people. Yeah. 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 Um, if I have the liberty to spend just a few seconds, what I'd like to do is I'd like to put up some scenarios just so you can kind of see what it looks like to do your analysis of your expenses and, you know, and by the way, some of you guys are nervous, I've never seen a flip chart, so of different people and this is a, a one month's worth of their their expenditures so they get your income and then the expenses in the categories that we've got listed here and exactly what you're talking about spending there is room we have a tendency of looking at at debt and and other areas in order to determine if you know a person can make changes and change their goals but a lot of places we fail to look at is the cable, cell phones, stuff like that. So what I wanted to do with this was 
Okay, this is a single individual. And uh, to tell you, in today's income level, these are about double. But you can see, here's two single individuals. And look at your bottom line down here. So then you got to go back and you got to look at and see, okay, where is it that they are, they have issues? You know, this person right here, they're, they're going negative. Now, I think in this particular case, uh, let's see, no. Yeah, so this is a lifestyle issue right here. So this is what you're going to do when you, when you, when you see, when you, when you go through your stuff, this is what you're going to see. And you're going to come down here to the bottom and see if, whether you're upside down or not. I was just going to say that one thing that I think is helpful is to take either our gross or our net and divide it by the number of hours corresponding to it to derive an hourly rate. And then to divide those numbers by the hourly rate, and you can see how many hours you spend to service that debt or to pay that cable bill. If a cell phone bill represents two hours of my work, it's way too high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I like that analogy. Let me flip back here to two, two schedules for her. You get your housing. Could you say some of those numbers? Because I can't. Yeah. I'm too old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is too far. Okay. So, okay, under giving, we had $950 and $2,000 here. Here we had savings zero and $4,000 savings here. Okay, we had debt under loans and credit cards, $1,500. There's a red light right there. Why, why would you have that debt? In, when you're making this kind of money, so somewhere along the line, these expenses are too high. Now they had an excess of $400. Well, it seems to me that, that that's goal right there for that person. So that's, that's why you do what you do. You sit down and you come up with your expenditures, come up with a chart like this, and you compare and then you come up with a budget to compare each line item. Where can I make some adjustments to this? And if you fail, if an item goes over for whatever reason, it just means an adjustment has to be made someplace else. Going back to what you were saying earlier, in this scenario on the married side, instead of 4000 going into savings, amongst making other adjustments, Four thousand could be skimmed down to help pay off that debt. Exactly. Exactly. 
So you sit down and you do this analysis and then you sit down and you come up with your goals and say, okay, here's what I want to do. But then the, the, the issue is right here, how much do you affect that in order to solve that? That comes from that person's heart. What do they, what do they think they need to do? I know, I know the temptation here would be to think, yeah, but what if I lose my job? Then I can't get anything. But at that point, if I was to take this, you know, apply some biblical principle here, um, the higher principle is that God has called me to owe no, nobody anything but trust Him. So trust Him, be faithful with getting to where He wants me to be. And all that other stuff. Yep. Yeah. Dave, you were talking too a couple weeks ago about you know, identifying and classifying something as a need versus a want. And as you know, some of the roots or the negative side of debt, I think sometimes we become blinded or we, we, we've removed our, the ability to properly classify things because of worldliness. We, we have been you know, conformed to what the world tells us is needed. You know, how many of us, myself included, you know, we were talking about this before, have a have a nine hundred or twelve hundred dollar cell phone with a hundred fifty dollar month bill, and we've been told like, oh, we I need that. That is, that is that's an absolute need. Um, it might be really useful, it might be really important to us, and it might be a need to some of us. But do I believe that's actually a need? And I think we get ourselves in a lot of trouble because we we, we look at things as these are things we deserve, yeah. things I need, and I wrongly evaluate those. We can get ourselves yeah what what's the first thing that goes to your mind when you look at what the what are the needs that that God says he will provide us and you look at that list and you say that's not much wouldn't mean that's not much you know back I mean that that is a lot for some people but for us in today's world especially here in the United States yeah, you have to have a cell phone. You have to have this. You have to have that. It's just, it's, it's crazy. It, it, it makes it very, let me, let me put it this way. It's, it, when you have much, you've got a lot more to be accountable for. That's more difficult than when you don't have much. But we all want to get to that point where you have much. And a lot of us end up there anyhow because you work diligently and you, and you, you, you know, you try to provide for your family. But we end up going overboard, and I've done that. I got to pull back. So, so anyhow, this is just an example of the process you go through in order to be able to come up with your goals and to make changes. So, any questions? Any other comments? Uh, there's one more thing I wanted to uh, on, on my list of questions. How can you convert your earthly treasures to heavenly treasures? Told to do that. How do you do that? What do you do? Okay. But is there something physically you can do? I think it starts from the heart, Dave. Yeah. It starts from looking at two different things and saying, which do I value more? Right? Because, like, you can give money, right? Mm -hmm. Mormons give money, mm -hmm. but they don't treasure God Almighty. Right, right. And so it starts from treasuring God Almighty and then putting all of the money that you've given you, the possessions that you've given you, into that framework of saying, I value God more than anything. Okay. 
That's correct. That's where you got to go. Maybe, go ahead. Also mindset, like um, I can use something to glorify myself or I can use something to glorify God. Like I can use my truck to go make myself some money or I can use my truck to glorify God with my efforts. Okay, okay. Anybody else? You, you, you know, sell it, and give. What's that? You can sell and give. Okay. Get rid of it. Yep. Yep. Right. You can sell. You can sell what you've sacrificed something that you own in order to be able to give. And and you're right. It comes from the heart. And not, you know, people will do that in a greedy way, but generally, when you do that type of stuff, you are doing it from the heart. If you're a Christian, but. It, I think the thing that we need to be looking at is that you've got your standard giving levels that you establish. Go beyond that and look at the possibility and come up with a passion. What's your passion in, in, in God's kingdom? What would you, missions? Is it kids to college? Is it, what is it? And follow that passion. Do your basic and then go beyond that. And, and, and come up with a passion. The passion comes from the heart. This is what I want to see. So, um, and I think that's, that's, that's part of storing up treasures in heaven. And it is a monetary issue, a monetary thing. It's because money is so much a part of us, like I said before. It's in everything we do. So, all right, let me close in prayer and then we will uh, dismiss. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to be stewards of yours, to, to, to be in control of your assets and to uh, be able to um, store them up in heaven and to be your servants, dear Lord. And even though we are considered your slaves, your servants, we're also adopted into your family dear lord and we just thank you for that we thank you for the for that opportunity we thank you for our lives and the fact that you that you own us and we just praise your name in jesus name amen